Welcome to another episode of Notes from John. With a babble from Bon. Hope everyone's doing well <clears throat> on this Sunday evening, January 27, 2019. It was a beautiful Sabbath day as far as the weather. Even though it was a little crisp, the sky was blue, mountains all white. It was gorgeous. It was a gorgeous day. Not too cold as it's been the last few days and really a lovely day. And um, with this uh, this evening, we've had Julie's family over for dinner with us and their their children. We love them, and uh, it's certainly a, a joy to have her family here as we get together each Sunday. They gave us there. They sang us a little song, which they're so cute at, and give your love away. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, yeah they did a nice sweet. job with it. <clears throat> well, we have a, a another couple of delightful experiences today um, with regards to two of our grandsons, Bo and Jake Motzkus. Bo was ordained a priest by his father, Eric, and Jake was ordained a teacher by his father today. <clears throat> and I'm just so proud of both of yes, them. Yes, we are. For their worthiness to be um, ordained, for their desire to be they're just really outstanding young men, and I'm, I'm really proud of them. I am as well. <laughs> Good. Well, thank cute you, Cute young sweetheart. man. Handsome, cute, wonderful young man. They are. And, and uh, we also wanted to give a, a shout-out tonight to our son, Josh. Uh, Josh is um, a hard worker. He is. He has such... Uh, really interpersonal skills that uh, are impressive in his sales work. And he's been with a company by the name of Nevro for oh, about, well, it's been almost uh, nine or 10 months by now. But uh, at the end of the year, he had been with the company for nine months and did so well in his first year that he won Rookie of the Year Award for that company for 2019. I'm really proud of him for we that. We are. He wouldn't want us to say anything about this, but since we're a little partial to Josh, as far as our only son now that we have, um, we are proud of him and so grateful for what he does. Congratulations, Josh. We're proud of you. Talking about having Josh as our only son here on the earth, we do have another son on the other side of the vow, Nathan, John Nathaniel Jepson. And we want to talk about him tonight because one of my favorite quotes says, one of the best ways to have a little heaven in your home is to have someone you love in heaven. And that's where Nathan is. He is in heaven with his heavenly father, with Tabitha and Brenner, our other grandchildren who have passed on and we just wanted to talk a little bit about Nathan tonight. Nathan's name came from the prophet Nathaniel in the scriptures who was a man without guile and just that name is such a reminder of the the way we ought to be treating other people and caring about him and and we anticipated that Nathan would be that way a man without guile. And he was. He, I remember what he wrote in his journal one night about a little neighbor boy who had dyslexia. Is that how you say it? Dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And he said, I feel really bad for this young man. Of course, he said his name. 
And he said, because he has to look at things backwards. He reads backwards, and it's really hard for him, and I just feel so bad for him. Nathan had a tender heart, and he was. He was a little boy without guile. Yeah, he was fun, and, and uh, although he, he had a temper, he got frustrated easily with things, but he was very smart and um, uh, determined. My goodness, was he determined. He was. He was determined, and he he did have a temper. He would get frustrated, and he'd like to bite and hit. So we had to tell him to, when he got upset and angry, and it's okay to get upset and angry, but not to take it out on other people. So he'd go downstairs, and we had a pillow that he would go and hit when he got frustrated and angry. Yeah, it seemed to work, too, didn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. Josh and Nathan, uh, growing up together, were really best of friends, and uh, they were great together. And I'm grateful for Josh's treatment of his younger brother, Nathan, uh, uh, because they were, they were really inseparable in many ways. They were. It was always Josh and Nathan, or Nathan and Josh. It wasn't just one or the other. They were always a little pair. And so it was kind of hard for Josh when we lost Nathan, and because he lost his little friend, his little buddy. You know, uh, from the time Nathan was about three years old, he, he was beset with some real serious medical issues that we had to deal with, and that Bonnie primarily with him had to deal with. And um, I was just so impressed and so grateful for the way she dealt with him and, and the, the challenges that he had. Again, when he was about three, he contracted a disease called hemolytic uremic syndrome, or HUS. And it was a kidney disorder. And one of the serious problems from that kidney disorder was uh, that he would have extreme high blood pressure. And when that high blood pressure episodes would occur, he would have uh, terrible headaches. And uh, to avoid all of that, he was on Oh my gosh, medication him. How many pills a day? Was 30 it? pills a day we had to give him to try to keep his blood pressure down and salt-free diet and just trying to keep the little guy's blood pressure down. But there were occasional times when I went way high and poor little guy was screaming. And, and but, we, but first of all, my <coughs> yeah. point is there, you were taking care of all of those pills and all making sure that he took them every day and... All of the implications of that were significant. Well, we moms do what moms need to do, and yeah, that well, was they what do. We did. And you, you did it in, a, I think, just such a such a, an amazing way, sweetheart. Well, one of the things too, Nathan, I don't ever recall him complaining about having to take so many pills. No, he was a good boy. He did. He always took his pills and always ate his salt-free food, which wasn't wasn't great. But yeah. he would eat them. But when he had his blood pressure um, episodes, we usually had to take him up to the hospital and have um, IV put in to bring his blood pressure down within normal ranges. Yeah, that the only way we could bring that blood pressure down was to have injections into his arm uh, that would uh, have a, an ability to bring his blood pressure down immediately. And after a little while, Nathan knew every time his blood pressure was going up and he started having these terrible headaches, that that might mean he would have to go to the hospital. And those were terrible experiences for him as well because 
oftentimes, uh, as hard as they tried to do it without hurting him, you know, his little arms were small, his blood veins, his veins would were collapse. small. They'd collapse. They'd collapse, and it was very difficult for them to find his veins, and they're moving that needle around in his arm, and, and he's just in excruciating pain. Uh, it was just so difficult to watch him go through all of that. I would get a little frustrated with him at times, knowing that he's crying, and, and when he's crying, that's elevating his blood pressure as well, and... I'm pleading with him to stop crying, and, and uh, he's that, hurting. And that was a real hard to do when he was oh hurting. <laughs> stop crying. It was so difficult to deal with for him. But uh, he dealt with those challenges, you know, the best that a little young child could from the time he was uh, three. Actually, he was put into the hospital, the primary children's hospital, uh, when he was first diagnosed with this. HUS disease and uh, that in and of itself was a very difficult time. He was there for several days. <gasps> what? He was there for six weeks. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. That's like I said, several <laughs> days. Uh, six weeks and Bonnie spent a, a great deal of her time up there. It was also difficult for her because this, uh, uh, this disease would cause Nathan's personality to change somewhat and he became angry and there were even points at times when they had to to tie his arms and legs down to the bedside well the um creatine and the uh, the bun something like that yeah, yeah. would get too high because his kidneys weren't filtering and so that would make his little body angry and frustrated and he would he would just reach out, and I'm sure he thought that we were doing this to him. He didn't understand a lot of it, and so he would start hitting and punching, and they would have to just pull him off restrain and him. restrain him. That's the word, and and have him calm down by tying him up sometimes. But then he would look at you like, "Why are you doing this?" And that was that was hard. So from the time Nathan was three years old until he's uh, uh, almost eight years old, he's you know going through these periodic episodes of, of um, these terrible headaches, having to go up uh, to the hospital on an emergency basis and have these shots to try to bring his uh, blood pressure down and then afterwards he's just, he would just be exhausted from it all and, uh, and then we would hope and pray that uh, things would be well until the next episode. Fortunately, they weren't uh, every week you know, there was a good yeah. period of time between each of them, and uh, for that we were very grateful. Well, we were grateful that, too, and they were going to take a biopsy of his kidneys. And we had asked Elder Tom Perry of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to come up and give him a blessing, which yeah. he did. He came up to Primary Children's, and the next day he started his kidneys started to function. And so we were very grateful. I was a blessing, miracle. It really was. And sweetheart. we are grateful for that. Yeah. So he came home and and we tried to get life back to normal. Then, and then uh, <coughs> when Nathan was uh, seven years old. It was August 4th, 1983. Uh, it, this was on a Saturday and Nathan and Josh and I were outside in the yard doing yard work. 
and all three of us hated doing yard work actually. Bonnie enjoys yard work. Uh, and, and to a degree. A she does a beautiful job with it, but I didn't, I never have liked yard work, but uh, always needed to get it done. And <clears throat> uh, the boys, and this is at a, at a time when I was serving as bishop of uh, our ward here, and uh, I'd been the bishop for about five years at that point. Uh, uh, that Saturday morning, as we had been working, our the boys in our ward, the young men, were playing softball against the boys in another ward. And they were playing at a ball diamond up by Skyline High School in Salt Lake City. And uh, next to Skyline High School, just north of the school, there is a large open field that's kind of down in a ravine. And in that ravine area, they had uh, they were able to put a softball diamond, and that's where the uh, boys in our ward were going to play this softball game. <coughs> region game. A region game. So again, this was in uh, on, on August the fourth, and and then uh, uh, while we were working, it came time for the game to come around, and and Josh came running up to me, and he said, Dad. Can I go with the, the Normans, our next door neighbors, across the street, can I go with the Normans up to see the, the, the softball game? I said, sure, I'll be up in a few minutes and that's fine. And then just a couple of minutes later, Nathan comes running up and says, Dad, can I go too? And I said, well, sure, I'll be up in a few minutes. So they drove up with the Normans and um, and then I finished whatever it was I was doing, and I got up to the this uh, softball game oh, a few minutes after it had started. <clears throat> I didn't see Josh and Nathan when I first got there. I just figured they were playing with the neighbor boys somewhere, and there was a they, lot of open field where they could play. And they were up in some tree trees playing with cars, making dirt paths with cars. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I didn't know that at the time, but uh, so I sat down and to get to this ball diamond from the parking area, because the ball diamond was in a ravine, you had to walk down some cement steps from the parking lot area, which was nothing but a big field, from the parking area down to the ball diamond, down these large cement steps. So I was sitting on these uh, uh, cement seats. Uh, I'd just been there for a few minutes and and Josh came up to me and he said dad uh, we've been playing in the field over there and I got stung by some bees and he pulled down his shirt and I saw that he's had these little red marks on his uh, which were clearly bee sting marks on his chest I think they were wasps I think so too sweetheart they yeah. were wasps wasps and and uh, I said well <laughs> I'm sorry uh, not much I can do about that. Why don't you go put some water with some dirt, make some mud, and put that on your the bee stings, and it'll help it. He said, okay. Oh, oh by the way, Nathan got stung too. I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, tell him to do the same thing. And where, so, where would they get the water? Oh, from the bathroom there, I guess. Yeah, maybe. the little stream that was there too. Oh, there was? I yeah. didn't know there was a stream. And then... Uh, uh, I don't know, it could have been somewhere from five to ten minutes later, Josh came hurriedly back to me 
And he said, Dad, Nathan has fallen in the field and he looks really bad. You better come. I thought to myself, oh, the poor little guy, he, he's a little bit clumsy on occasion and maybe have a tendency to have fallen and hurt himself. So I, I got up and to get where Nathan was, I had to climb these cement steps uh, to get up to, to the level where this uh, field was, where we had our cars parked. Weren't they pretty steep? Yeah, they were, mm. they were fairly steep. So I start walking up these steps, and as I got closer to the top, I finally could see there was a fence at the top of the, of the, the uh, steps, a chain link fence about six feet high between the, the ball diamond area and the, the, the uh, dirt parking lot area. As I got up closer to where that fence was, I saw uh, our little neighbor friend who was with them, who was uh, at the fence, and uh, something was clearly wrong. As I got up further, to, almost to the crest of the hill, I finally was able to look over and I could see Nathan about, oh, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 feet away from me on the other side of this fence and he was laying down in the field with his face toward me he was laying on his <coughs> stomach and uh, his face was blue and I'm, I'm telling you fear gripped my heart in a way that um, I, I can't uh, describe I had this this pit in my stomach that came so quickly and immediately and I I looked at that fence and I thought God, I can't get over this fence not with this leg and so I I started running in my awkward hop skip and jump effort as quick as I could to go down to the end of the fence which was about 20 yards and around the end of it and then back to where Nathan was uh, someone must have seen me that was at that ball game um, I think our young women sports director mm -hmm. was there and she saw me, her bishop, uh, in a hurry getting around that fence. For And so I guess her curiosity uh, led her to come up and see what was going on. And uh, when I finally got to Nathan, I flipped him over and he wasn't breathing. And uh, I think at that time when she came up and could see I was kneeling over my son. She called for help, help. or something. Anyway, uh, I started uh, uh, kneeling over Nathan and giving him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. And with every breath I would breathe into him, I was pleading, come on, Nate, breathe. But I noticed as I would breathe into his mouth, his little uh, tummy would get bigger and then it would get a little smaller as the air would come out. So instead of the air that I was breathing into him, instead of the air going into his lungs, it was going into his stomach. Because um, when Kent Jukes, who was a dentist, um, who was the umpire of the game, he came bounding up and started to help 
help you, and Betty said that Nathan's heart was strong, but it was getting weaker because the airway was so tightly, yeah. and that's why well, what, tightly shut. Yeah, what we, we learned later, of course, was that when he was stung by the, when they had been playing in the field and, and Nathan got stung, he had a, a violent reaction to that, those bee stings. He had been stung, uh, I think, three times. Three times. It was the venom that was just yeah. all. And had an allergic reaction to those bee stings. And the, the allergic reaction for him was that his throat swelled shut. So that when the air I was trying to breathe into him couldn't get into his lungs because his his throat uh, to his lungs was was just completely swollen. So he was shot. basically in anaphylactic shock right yeah, then. And couldn't get any air into his lungs. I didn't know that. And and uh, as Bonnie had indicated here, the someone had yelled down to the umpire of the ball game, who was this uh, Dr. Kent Jukes, a wonderful man. I didn't know him, I knew of him, but he came bounding up. I don't know how he got over that fence, but he did. And um, by the time he got up there, now I have a, a group of people around us from our ward who love our family, and they were concerned about their bishop kneeling over his son that I was working on. And, and Dr. Jukes, uh, began to take over the mouth-to-mouth -mouth, uh, resuscitation on Nathan while I started to do a little bit of CPR on his heart. Initially, uh, Dr. Duke said his heart's strong, but because we weren't getting any air into him, his heart began to get weaker. Get weaker. Finally, at one point, um, uh, my uh, dear friend, Vern Wisnant, who I had been a counselor to in the bishopric before I was called to be bishop, and who I later became a counselor to in a stake presidency. Uh, Vern was there and, and uh, at this game. I asked Vern to come and, and with me uh, anoint and bless my son and give him a, a blessing. We didn't have any anointing oil to put on him, so we just laid our hands upon Nathan's head and I gave him a priesthood blessing. And I will tell you that as I was doing that, my hands were shaking. I was scared to death. I just knew that every minute that went by that Nathan wasn't able to get air into his lungs and then it, thus up to his brain, that it increased the chance of uh, severe brain damage for him or perhaps even death. So with every breath we were breathing, I was praying, and as I laid my hands upon his head, I blessed him that he at least just might have a chance at a normal life. Well, what I didn't realize was that by that time, Nathan was already dead. I didn't, I didn't know. We worked on him for a little while still and uh, someone called the, the uh, police department or 911 and an ambulance got there after a little bit. And someone had called 
for you, Bonnie, as well. Yes, the, the Normans who had brought them up to play, she came down to get me at the house. We were planning, a, we were, I was preparing for a party that evening with some friends, and she said to me, she came in the door, you need to come with me because Nathan's in trouble, and I think we got his heart started. And when she said that, I went, excuse me? I'd, I was taken back that it was that serious. So she drove me up to um, this, the diamond or the softball diamond behind Skyline, and as we drove in, we saw the ambulance, and I stopped and climbed in, and there they were trying to work with him. Yeah. But it was not a fun scene. No, I'm sure it wasn't for you. So we we uh, went with the ambulance, uh, and if I remember correctly, we went to St. Mark's Hospital, which was the that the first one. We, yeah, we went to St. Mark's Hospital first, and um, and then uh, from St. Mark's they air flighted Nathan up to Primary Children's Hospital, up by the University of Utah Hospital, and. Uh, Bonnie and I drove up to, together up there and met him. He, by now he's in, uh, this now is Saturday, sometime Saturday afternoon, early afternoon, and uh, um, they got Nathan immediately into a, new, a critical care unit and had all kinds of machines uh, up to him, a ventilator so that he is breathing and heart monitors and everything out, tubes in his uh, nose and in his mouth and uh, of course he was unconscious uh, um. yes the, fir the first 12 hours were crucial for him and, but he didn't si show any signs of response they did a lot of tests on him and we were, to see if he had any brain waves we were fearful that he'd wake up and and then just lay there as a vegetable for the, which we knew he did not want yeah our our doctor for Nathan, who had dealt with all of the the HUS problems, was a Dr. Siegler, and uh, he got he got brought into it early on, and mm -hmm. we were so grateful for his uh, remarkable care and expertise in this area. And uh, he he was clear with us. Uh, he said things don't look good. Um, that was on Saturday. And uh, we kept vigil around his bed, uh, Bonnie and I. Nathan was kept alive by machines. And finally came to the realization that his, uh, there just were, there were no little brain waves. And uh, with Dr. Siegler and Bonnie and I in consultation together concluded that we would turn off the machines and, and let him go. Well, this was now a Sunday, if I remember correctly, Bonnie. Monday. Monday. And we had had so many family and friends come up to the hospital who were so concerned and very kind in their expressions of sympathy and concern, and and including Nathan and us in their prayers. They were they were so good. Very sweet. Yeah. Finally, as we uh, gave the instruction for the doctors and the nurses to turn all the machines off, to take all the tubes out, uh, I, I was so appreciative of this one particular nurse that was there that 
that tenderly dealt with Nathan as she took the needles out of his arms, his hand, and uh, removed the tubes from his throat and from his nose. And she did it with such care. I've always been grateful for the, the care that she showed for my little boy, our little boy. There was one point when she finally, or they finally turned off the ventilator with Nathan. And uh, Bonnie and I were in there together with him and we just watched his heart monitor just immediately as they turned off the machine begin to drop from 90 beats a minute down to 70, 50, 10, 30 down to zero. And I don't think it took more than a, maybe a minute or two for for that process. Uh, right after the nurse had finished, Bonnie needed to step out of the room for a moment, and it gave me just a, an opportunity for a few minutes to be alone with Nathan in this lifeless little body, and I, I uh, took him into my arms and told him how much I loved him and how sorry I was that I couldn't save him. I didn't know what else to do up in the field. Somebody said to me, well, why didn't you do a tracheotomy <clears throat> on him? I thought, I, I, first off, I didn't have a knife. Second off, even if I had a knife, I wouldn't have known what to do. And um, in any event, it was a very, very tender time for, for me uh, with Nathan expressing my my final goodbyes to him. So with heartache, we hugged him and stroked him and we left and it was hard to leave him there. It really was. Um, that ex that, at, at that time, Bonnie and I uh, really, both of us, found ourselves in a period of uh, significant mourning. I didn't realize it. I think Bonnie realized it much earlier than I did. And uh, a, a couple of days after Nathan died, maybe just the next day, uh, we got a, had a visit from my mission president, Paul H. Dunn, and his wife. They were so kind. Oh, was it, sweetheart? Well, what we did first is we went and picked up the kids the, that that, that oh, night. that's right. Thank we went you. and picked up the kids and we took them up to a cabin that our neighbor had, had let us use and their little faces were so sad when we told yeah, them. Yeah, it was such a shock to them all. Of course, Josh knew what was going on. At least he was there with us uh, yes, up in the field and was fully aware of all of it. They all looked so bewildered and because he knew his best friend was gone. And yeah. And Josh was only nine years old at the time, and yet... Um, it was hard for the girls to really comprehend what had happened. And it was so different not having Nathan around. But then, yes, we everyone struggled for a while. But yes, John, you did look a little bit um, uh, bewildered as well. And we well, were both I very was. sad. <laughs> yes, you were. I was bewildered. And then, it was I think it was about two weeks after when President... Paul Dunn and his wife came. Oh, that's, I, you're right, Bonnie. But I remember as he came, uh, President Dunn came, and I, I was sharing with him this, this feeling of deep hurt 
that was almost uh, debilitating. He said, uh, John, you just need to realize that you are in mourning and it's okay for you to mourn. You need to be able to mourn. That kind of opened my eyes to re the realization that I, I was I was mourning and I was uh, I was so deeply hurt by Nathan's death and by not being able to have helped him. Um, I was struggling with why Heavenly Father would not have helped me to save my son, especially at a time when we were striving, Bonnie and I, to do what was right as much as any time or more than ever before in our lives. And yet, as we pled for our son, Heavenly Father said, no, I don't know why. And Elder Don gave us both a, gave us both a comfort blessing. And, and he told you that um, in the weeks and months ahead, that we'd know the reason for Nathan's death. We were given comfort that peace would come to us and that our home would be filled with the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. He also told us that even though we would yearn for Nathan, that he would yearn for us as well on the other side of the veil. And he also said that Nathan would be with us at important events, which has happened, and we just felt so blessed. That's why I've, I've said that statement that, um, that one of the best ways to have a little heaven in your home is to have someone you love in heaven, and that has truly come to pass. Well, I was g very grateful for that uh, blessing that uh, Elder Dunn had given to us as well. But I had an experience uh, just shortly after that that made a huge difference for me. I had a dream, and you know, I don't remember my dreams very often, very seldom as a matter of fact, but, but this dream was so vivid and so real I've concluded it was much more than a dream. And I, when I dream, I, I dream in color, and so everything was vivid. In my dream, all of a sudden, our family is sitting around our kitchen table having dinner, and everybody is in each of their places, including Nathan. And Nathan's sitting there in his little Levi's with a little pullover shirt, and I was so surprised to see him there. I, and I, I, I said to him, Nathan, you're not supposed to be here. You're dead. And Nathan said to me, Dad, I had to come back and tell you how much I love you. And Nathan got up out of his chair, walked over to me, sat in my lap, and we held each other for the rest of my dream until I woke up then that morning. And when I woke up, it's as if before I had, you know, the, before this dream I felt like I had this big, heavy, hundred pound coat on me, a big Eskimo coat that was just so constricting and tight and I felt weighed down and the big burden on me that I could hardly move around. But when I woke up, it's as if 
Heavenly Father had taken that big heavy coat off of me and I was free. I was free from the, the deep sorrow that was so hurtful and debilitating for me. And I came to realize that for Nathan, he's in a great place. What a great deal for him. He lived, he was just what, two months short of, two and a half months short of being six eight weeks. Years old. Well, six weeks, short of being eight years old, and he would have been baptized at that point. So he dies just prior to turning eight years old. And according to our church doctrine, that means that Nathan inherits celestial glory. So I'm thrilled to know for him, he's there. He's, he's where we want him to be. And even though we, we missed him, we do miss him, and I'm sure he misses us, he has his position in the celestial kingdom secured. And that does give us great comfort. And I know that so many people helped helped us get through this as well, from neighbors and family and friends and even little Doug, Norman, and Josh who blamed themselves. Doug being, Doug uh, being the little friend that was with him. and bla They both blamed themselves for not knowing what to do, and they thought that they could have saved him, but there was nothing that they could have done. No, and they missed their friend. We miss... We miss him, but we are so grateful for the plan of salvation. And we know that life goes on, and <clears throat> we'll be with him again one day. And, and our little family is all striving to live the principles of the gospel and stay true and faithful so we can all be together as a family forever. That's right, Bonnie. And uh, so Nathan is very much a part of our lives. Uh, we don't, we've not made a shrine of his room or anything like that. And and we visit his grave occasionally uh, on Memorial Day, and and, and we do we do talk about him occasionally. Yeah. It's hard to talk too much because then that hurt kind of comes back into the yeah. heart and makes it hard. And some of the songs that uh, I've incorporated into this uh, podcast that you've heard in the background are songs that Nathan loved, and were some of his favorite songs and. Every time we hear them sung, it just brings it all back. Yes, it? it's hard for me on Mother's Day when they sing, I often go walking, and and he loved where love is, their God is also. And he was you could always hear him because he was just under the note. So he was a little flat, but he sang with such emotion and intensity. And, and loudness. And loudness. <laughs> you could see his feeling all through his little face, how much he loved singing. Yeah. And he loved his mother so much because she, she took care of him so much uh, during his uh, his sicknesses and his high blood pressure episodes and while he was in the hospital. Anyway, she was a remarkable well, caretaker for him, and he he loved her dearly. Well, that's of course he loved you as well and loved his brothers and his brother and sisters and the, they all loved him and. And um, he was just, he's just part of our family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we come out of this experience uh, not fully understanding certainly why, and the whys, you know, that those questions won't ever be answered. But we come out simply trusting God, trusting Him with all of our hearts, no matter what. 
And yeah. although we may not understand his decisions, we may not like the decisions, or even agree with the decisions, the fact is our Father in Heaven knows what is best for Nathan, what is best for us, what is best in all circumstances. And our challenge is to trust Him in all cases, no matter what. And to live the best lives we possibly can. Keep trying every day so that we can live together and especially with our Heavenly Father and the Savior. That's exactly right. I recognize this podcast has gone a little longer than we normally do, but uh, this is a very tender um, experience for us to share and hope that it might bring some understanding in your lives, especially for those of our children, our grandchildren, and others that are so close to us, our missionaries and and others that we love, uh, because it it has been in many ways it, some of the defining elements of our lives have come as a result of this experience. And um, although we would never wish it on anyone, we are grateful for the challenges, for the trials, for the things we experience, so that we might strive to become more like our Lord and Savior. It did help us to grow, that's for sure, as we've been able to help several others who have been through the loss of a loved one, sadness. Yeah, it surely increases your compassion, your empathy, and understanding. So, uh, thanks for listening. Life is good, even on our bad days. Life is good. It really is, and we are so grateful to be alive, healthy, and well. And to have joy. Happy with our family which clearly includes Nathan in a, uh, um, a significant part of our lives. So until next time, this is Notes from John. With a babble from Bon. Good night.